and welcome to Bears Beyond the Gate, a Bristol Bears podcast made by fans for fans. We're four season ticket holders at Ashton Gate who love the club, the game and all things Bears. In this week's show, we discuss the New Year's Day win against Newcastle Falcons with the enforced absence of six front row players due to COVID-19, a major achievement to bag the 29-17 win and all five points. We also look forward to the trip down the M5 to Sandy Park in the game against Exeter. And we'll get the intel on the opposition when we chat with a couple of Exeter Chiefs fans. All this and more in this week's show. I'm Tony and this week I'm joined online by Lee, Miles and Pete for a cheeky beer and some rugby banter. Well, gentlemen, Happy New Year to you. Um, podcast now in its third year. Can you believe that? Uh, 2019, 2020, and 2021 now. Um, so uh, let, let let me come to you first, Pete. Um, how uh, how was your New Year? I'm assuming a quiet one, unless you've been raving in uh, in France. Oh, you just stole my thunder tone. I said I found myself in some deserted warehouse in France, and uh, before I know it, I was being deported back to the UK. No, um, I did what every discerning middle-aged middle-class man did and had a nice little zoom quiz with some uh, some friends then fell asleep for about an hour and a half on the bed and then woke up about quarter to 12 to say happy new year and then probably went back to bed again uh, there we are and uh, miles how about you were you were you working at new year or did you do you have that off uh i was working quite late but actually i, did, I got home at about 10 p.m so then uh have a few beers with the with the Duchess, watch a bit of t- TV till midnight, and then yeah, like like Pete, rocking and rolling. Promptly went to bed at ten past twelve. Yeah, this is what we do in our middle age, lads, isn't it? <laughs> and Lee, come on then, you you must have had a few beers and been up to to dawn. Well, I know usually I am the party animal of the the uh, the four of us, but actually uh, I'm not a New Year's Eve person, Tone, and I was in bed at half past eleven. I didn't didn't even celebrate it. <laughs> There we are, rock and roll rugby with Bears Beyond the Gate. So uh, at least we were all refreshed then for the uh, game on New Year's Day, Bristol at home to Newcastle Falcons, um, and uh, winning 29 points to 17. Pete, let me come to you first. Um, Before we actually talk about the game, what were you thinking as far as the results concerned when you found out about that positive COVID-19 test in the front row and the fact that uh, all six players were going to be unavailable. Well, the first thing I was I was thinking was how many hookers have we actually got in the club, um, and realised that obviously we have got young George Kloska as our fourth hooker. But then, kind of then had to go on the website to check through the academy pages to find out who our replacement hooker would be. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was it wasn't a great um, it wasn't a great kind of preparation for the game, particularly when I remember those folk on Falcons guys that we spoke to telling us that the big strength of Newcastle Falcons was their pack and uh, particularly their uh, their front five. So yeah, it was a bit of a worrying thing, but I was heartened when Pat talked so positively about bringing the uh, the understudies in. And the fact that that's why we have an integrated academy and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, he gave me the confidence that a a director of rugby should give. And Miles, um, you know, I I don't know if you'd settled down in front of the telly uh, in time for kickoff. But uh, if you hadn't, you would uh, would have missed that first try. What was your uh, your thoughts on that super speedy start uh, and New Alago's first uh, score for the club? 
Oh, it's brilliant. I was a bit disappointed it was a little bit slower than Harry Randall's in the European final, but 43 seconds is absolutely brilliant. I think uh, I think Mrs. Clark had gone to suddenly make a cup of tea and then we'd scored. Just a brilliant intercept by uh, Sheedy and uh, the gas from Nualago just to keep up with him and rock it over. You know, great, great first score for him. And, and Lee, um, you can imagine Nualago, a very proud moment. Uh, first try for Bristol, first try in the Premiership. You would imagine that's a match shirt that he's going to uh, want to keep and treasure. But... Uh, Maybe, uh, maybe not. Well, I, I think uh, he probably will treasure this shirt for more more ways than one thing because he definitely had a couple of letters missing, didn't he, when he uh, when he went over the try line? So um, was it was it just the, the speed, the pace that he was going? It the um, the letters flew off the old Umbro shirt, or uh, or what? I don't know. But um, this guy's got some serious pace, hasn't he? And I'm really looking forward to to seeing him really start to burn it up for Bristol as well. Absolutely. I, it did make me laugh. I, I think, I don't know if it was on the commentary or it was on Twitter about um, David uh, Flatman saying that the kit man at Bath, when he used to play there, used to leave the L out of his uh, name for his shirt. <laughs> um, that was brilliant. Right. He was brilliant all game flats as well, wasn't he? Do, do you know he was? And I just think he, he's, although he, he, he jokes and messes around, he's so insightful about the, the, the pack and the front row especially yeah. um, that, that I really, really enjoyed listening to him on the, on the commentary. I think he does a, a, does a great job. Well, Pete, um, first half, uh, we went in at halftime ahead. Obviously, we had the quick start, but uh, what were your thoughts on that first 40 minutes? Well, I, th- I mean, after that first try, and then I think there was uh, a forward pass, wasn't there, to Nualago quite soon afterwards that he, he probably would have scored if he if hadn't been pulled back. I thought, oh, we're gonna we're gonna rip these boys apart here, um, and actually, <laughs> unfortunately, it then got a little bit more uh, stressful, didn't it? And I mean, I despite. The, the second try we scored, which, to be honest, should have come with a government health warning. <laughs> it was so filthy, that pick-up from Charles Piertau. You know, we were under the cosh. And I think uh, I think Newcastle will be disappointed that they went in 14-10 um, uh, down at half-time. Although, let's be honest, I mean, that was because we... We defended very well as well. So although they perhaps their fans would probably say they didn't take their chances, I think we would say that, you know, we did what we've been doing a lot of recently, which is really, really defending our line. And uh, and but obviously, I think at half time, like most fans, I was I was hoping that we were going to have a, a second half bounce like we did against Harlequins. And, and consequently, that did happen. And Miles, um, you know, one of the things we've been talking about and uh, have been very proud of the way Bristol have played is their their attacking mall and as, as well the defensive mall. But uh, Newcastle really showed us up in that first half, didn't they? There was a, a, a couple of times they uh, they drove what twenty meters or so uh, against Bristol. Um, were, were you worried at that point? Yeah, I mean they were trying to play the Bristol game, weren't they? You know, we've been so used to our driving mall driving. Literally from our 22 up to the halfway line, which we can't quite understand at some point. But Newcastle were just sort of pushing us back for huge parts of the game. And, and I totally agree with Pete. Uh, I mean, I felt at 30 minutes, especially when Atwood got the yellow card, that half time could not come soon enough. 
really, really worried about our sort of front five. But, you know, we turned it around. I mean, our driving wall was okay. But, again, it wasn't wasn't firing on all cylinders. But, yeah, slightly worrying first half. But, you know, we'll, we'll chat about the second half in a bit. And Lee, um, I, th- I think certainly one, if not two, twice, we, we managed to hold them up over the line in that game. Uh, again, showing how defensively organised we are. Um, but um, in, in that first 40 minutes, what, what were you thinking uh, about our, our front row three um, that had come in and how they were performing? Well, I mean, I thought that we we let Newcastle have their game. I think that was the first mistake we made. I think we didn't stamp enough of our authority on it. Um, but, I mean, I don't know what else we really could have expected, considering the circumstances, a brand-new front row, uh, a 21-year-old debutant. And I just I thought that, actually, the defensive side of the game, we were absolutely fantastic and uh, like Pete had said, we knew what Falcons were going to do. That's that's their game plan. Um, it, it did make me laugh, though, because I think Peter McCabe was, was blowing like Moby Dick after about 20 minutes. And uh, and I was thinking to myself, is is this is he going to even be able to, to get into the tunnel at half-time? But the boys put in a, a massive shift. And I, I, I don't think they – I mean, I know Pat has – you know, given a massive credit, but I don't think they got enough credit really in terms of stepping up and matching the Falcons. I know we did, we did get driven back at those times, but generally over the first 40 minutes, I think we were, we, we were absolutely brilliant defensively. I, I, I think there was some good defence, but I think I think we were on the rack um, against their forward pack. Um, Pete, let me come to you. Um, obviously, Pat gave another half-time talk. I think uh, he spoke after the game about not being happy about the way that uh, people were executing the kind of plan and the, 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 the Bears' way. Um, and then he made the changes uh, and possibly the most significant one um, was Carl Sinclair coming on. Um, do, do you think that's possibly the best we've seen Sinclair in a Bristol shirt? Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I, I also think credit to Jake Armstrong, he probably only had a half in him as well. And I'm sure that was a, a pre-planned thing. Um, because, I mean, you said that George McCabe was blowing. <laughs> but I mean, Jake Armstrong was was matching him pretty well. But, you know, it, it, the boy kept going. And I, I'm sure he knew that he had to give it his all for 40 minutes and Kyle came on. Yeah, I mean, and as you, you mentioned with your with David Flatman. I mean, he was, he was very insightful for, for the things that Sinclair did when he came on. And, you know, I, I, I'm pleased actually, because it's, it's kind of reminded us as fans, the value of Kyle Sinclair to us. And I think it's taken a bit of time for us to, to understand that. And I think it, it ironically, this situation has amplified how good he really is. Um, and I'm sure it gave him a lot of, uh, um, a lot of confidence about his position in the team and and so on. But uh, I mean, I feel a bit sorry for him because he was supposed to be on holiday, wasn't he? And he, he obviously got the. You can imagine him. He's got his mobile on. He see it's Pat Lamb ringing, and he's like, "Oh, what do I do? Do I answer it? Do I not?" Although to be fair, I don't know where he would have been on holiday, considering that London was in Tier Four. But yeah, what a, what a, what a great second half performance from Kyle. And Lee, you wanted to make a comment. I was just going to say, just just on the back of what Pete's just said, then I, I just wonder actually if um, 
if Kyle had spent a bit of time maybe at home or saw his, his mum, family, um, whether that did make an impact. So, you know, so mentally he was actually, um, I, I know we did pull him off the, the holiday shift, but mentally he might have been more happier and settled coming into that game than he has been previously with not seeing any of his family. You know, I just wonder. No, absolutely. You wonder if that breakaway has has helped him. Um, and I think the interesting thing for me now is, uh, I know when we spoke to Pat on our 50th episode, he said those two weeks don't have to be consecutive. So I'm in- assuming now that Carl's had 10 or 11 days of those 14 days. So hopefully to fit the, the remaining three days in somewhere isn't going to cause too much disruption to, uh, to the team. Miles, um, one person that we have to talk about in uh, that front row was George Kloska. Um, first premiership start. Um, could it have gone any better for him? Uh, <laughs> I guess not. I mean, the uh, the commentators are extremely complimentary of him. And so was Pat and all the fans. And fair play for such a young man to step up like that was just fantastic. Uh, I mean, the first half, there were a few sort of loose flows in the uh, throws, sorry, in the line out. Uh, and fair play, it's a really tough position um, getting your throws straight, and you know to play for the for the, you know, the, the full match, just amazing. I mean, he was uh, he was steaming by the end as well, but uh, a brilliant game for him. Just absolutely fantastic to have that as a backup for our sort of two two first and second hookers. And Pete, if we think about the game overall, then what, what were the players that uh, stood out for you from that uh, Bristol performance? I mean, we've just talked about Kloska. Who else uh, gets the stars against their names, as far as you're concerned? Well, I think we've got to do our standard mention of uh, Nathan Hughes, haven't we? I mean, he is becoming more a suit by the week, and uh, he seems to be. It kind of matching that with the enthusiasm for his rugby. I mean, I, I, I get this sense of watching him that he is loving life at the moment. And he's, I think Pat has made it very clear about what his job is. And he's, he's basically kind of executing that with alacrity. And I always remember what that means, boys. It means eager readiness. And that to me <laughs> is what I remember. I remember that from when I was at, from at school, alacrity. And that's what, to me, that's what Nathan Hughes is. It's showing all the time. He he wants to get the ball. He's stuck in all the time. He's, I mean, his defensive work is, is really good. And, uh, you know, when he... I mean, there was one good passage of play in that game, wasn't there, when he, he did that like a handoff that was almost like a... Mm. Like a... a, a, like a, um, a boxing punch. Um, but then he got mullered by about four Newcastle forwards coming in from the side. And uh, But no, I mean, I just think he's, you know, he, he provides our sort of go forward. And then we've got the subtlety and the intelligence. And not, I'm not saying Nathan's not intelligent, but the kind of back row nous of Luatua and Heenan or Luatua and Thomas that kind of complement him perfectly. And uh, I'm really, really enjoying uh, Nathan, I'd go as far to say that he shows as, as much enthusiasm as he did that time when he ran across the old dual carriageway at Welford Road last year <laughs> to get his uh, to get his uh, Donna kebab with extra chilli sauce. So that, I really enjoyed watching Nathan. I, I can't wait to see him again. 
And Lee, I know you've penned the column for the Bristol Post for Monday morning. We're recording this as normal on a Sunday evening. Um, and, uh, you know, I absolutely agree with Pete. I think Nathan Hughes is having a, a storming season, but uh, there, there's somebody that maybe doesn't disagree uh, or doesn't agree with us as far as Hughes is concerned. And could, would it be fair to say he's even got your goat this week? I, I would say that was fair, Tone. Um I'll be honest with you. It, I mean, we all know we're talking about Lawrence, big Lawrence Delalio, who, uh, don't get me wrong, was a fantastic player. Um, but I do think sometimes the commentary is 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 sometimes lacking. Is um, in particular the the almost the kind of nagging away, uh, niggling away Hughes for weeks and weeks uh, that we've been listening to. And, yeah, I mean, he basically wrote the column for me this week because I, I just feel that Nathan Hughes has been immense for us this season. And if Lawrence can slate him for playing that well, then I just don't really know where he's coming from. So, um, yeah, this week, good old Lawrence is, is has written the column for me, basically. But um, it's, it's worth a read anyway tomorrow, I would say, Tom. Have you passed it past the Bristol Post lawyers by any chance? <laughs> Hopefully Tony has. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we took Lee's effing and Jeffin out, so uh, oh, yeah. I, I think we should allegedly be okay for that. Um, Miles, who, who stood out for you in the game? Um, I think, you know, actually, I was quite pleased to see Uren, Andy Uren start this, this, this weekend. Well, I, I know you boys are sort of grimacing at me, but my wife said... Why on earth isn't Harry Randall playing for the whole match? And I said, Wendy, it's a squad-based sort of game. And if you don't give Uren time on the on the pitch, then he's not really going to step up when the need arises. He was all right, not as effective as Harry in the first half, but I'm going to go as far as to say he was effective enough in the first half, I think, to sort of, uh, you know, deserve that sort of 40 minutes. Well, I everyone can, else is going to disagree. I can see that now. I, well, we're using this software, and we, we can we can see each other. And that the heads that are shaking in front of me, uh, it's, it's, wow! It's it's like there's been an earthquake in VS3. Um, let, let let me come to you, Pete. Um, do, do you agree with Miles? You thought Urin had a good game? Well, I can't know. I'm sorry, Miles. Oh. I, I think that. Up to a few, maybe the end of last season, we sort of said they're interchangeable. I, I think now the divide between the two is is now quite wide. And, and I think it was noticeably, he was noticeably better when he came on. He was quicker, he was sharper. His bo- the things that we've said that Andy Uren was better at, like box kicking and stuff, I just felt Randall was just gone up a notch. And to be honest, I mean, I really, I love Andy Uren. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a local boy and he's brilliant, but I think he's, he's got to be the understudy now. And I think we have to start with Harry Randall and, and Uren has to come on. And if he's, it's a squad game, as you say, but he's got to be ready to come on. And he's also got to be ready that if, say, Randall gets injured, yeah, he's ready, but he's not. To me, I'm, I don't think he's a starter anymore. And I, 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 I don't like saying it, but I, I feel that Harry, you don't need to rest Harry Randall. He's a young lad. He, he, you know, he, he's got to start every game. 
No, I agree. I, I actually made a note as well. I think there was a magnificent box kick on about 73 minutes. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's one of the areas of his game that he, he, he wasn't so hot on last season, but he, he must have put a tremendous amount of work in because I think his box kicking now uh, is, is is really up there. And uh, I think there were there were articles, weren't there, at the weekend in the papers, you know, will he choose England? Will he choose Wales? Um but uh, it was good to see that he says he feels he's in- he's English and he's got English parents. Lee, you wanted to say something. I just wanted to, I mean, I completely agree with you and Pete on that. Uh, I don't know where Miles is coming from, but I would say, I think... <laughs> we took his thumb from his missus, didn't he? I was under the thumb of Mrs. Clark. <laughs> but this, this is what I was just going to add. I, I, I'm just wondering whether... The more insightful rugby questions are actually coming from the Duchess rather than the Duke nowadays, yeah. and um, <laughs> that 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 could well be the case. That yeah. could well be the case. I just some names I wanted to mention. I thought Dave Atwood was uh, is abrasive yeah. best. Yeah, I know good. he got the yellow card, but uh, I thought he did a, a lot of good work there. Um, nice to see Fitz Harding come on um, again I think he came from Durham was spotted at Durham University so uh, for him to have that opportunity but um, you know we've already talked about Carl Sinclair and Harry Randall to me they really changed the game um, uh, f- uh, for Bristol in the second half but how nice was it to see the Wizard of Oz oh, racing the touchline at Ashton Gate again um, oh and, by the way uh, those shorts were pretty tight. Did anyone see that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not part of this game I was it, noticing, mate. It, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Pete in the budgie smuggling days. <laughs> well, well, I, well, you mean what, the whole physique, the whole package. Thanks, Lee. I appreciate that. I, I, I definitely think that, that took a couple of yards out of uh, Luke's stride when he, when he got in full stride. I think he was only probably three quarters, if I'm honest. Uh, it, it looked very tight. <laughs> Well, there we are. So, some interesting statistics on the game. Bristol had 36% possession, 28% territory. Uh, we had to make 126 tackles to their 71. So, again, we've talked about this before. The the stats can sometimes be misleading because it's what you do with that territory and possession that counts. Uh, and certainly when we were in the, the, the danger zone, we were converting and, and scoring the points where Newcastle uh, didn't. Pete, I think you comment you want to make? Yeah, it was just just to finish off, it was to talk about the old post-match interview that George Kloska did um, after the game. And uh, I was a bit I was a bit disappointed with, with uh, Bayfield in the studio. He was slightly patronising, wasn't he? And, and sort of said, oh, you know, I've never seen anyone concentrate so hard on the questions. This is some young lad who's just played an hour and a half against the likes of Mark Wilson. And, uh, and I thought he conducted himself very, very well. He, he was very clear what he said and slightly annoyed me. It's the sort of thing you get from ex-coppers, isn't it? Slightly patronising tone, I thought. And uh, um, I just think that I think that was almost as impressive the way that he did that interview as he, as he played in, in, the, in the first half. And, and he also echoed something that Flatman said, or should it be Fatman, said during the game, that when you're a hooker, Actually, your game is about your line-out throwing and what you do around the park, not so much about the scrum because you've got two big lumps either side and, and big boys behind. And he said that in the interview. And I thought, hey, fair juice the boy. So I think uh, I think it was um, it was a nice sort of antidote to some sort of slack 
punditry from Mr. Bayfield there, and uh, and I, I hope uh, he learned his lesson. Well, there we are. On, on behalf of the other three boys, can I just to, to all our police friends, current, current, and past, you know, we do support you uh, and do do a wonderful job for the country. And to be and to be fair, to be fair, loads, loads of them have taken me in, and it's always been a brilliant taxi ride. <laughs> There we are. Just just before we go off uh, go off the game as well, I thought uh, you remember when Clive Woodward uh, won the World Cup with England. One of the big things they talked about was marginal gains, uh, and I love the fact that Stephen Luatoa appears now to take a scooter from his car <laughs> to the dressing room uh, just to save that bit of extra energy. Um, um, but let's let's before we go off this week, let's just have a look at some of the other scores. Um, uh, let me come to you, Miles, first. Um, Wasps, 34, Exeter, 5. I don't think many of us saw that coming, but, you know, Exeter did rest quite a few players, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I mean, we were all hoping, I think, well, I think every Bristol fan was hoping for a big Wasps win, but of, of that sort of substantial uh, uh, amount is, <laughs> yeah, is great for us, really. I mean, yeah, they, they rested their players, but, you know, look what happened on the other hand to us this week. In effect, we had to rest our six players of our own and, you know, we still came away and with a, with a good five-point win. Uh, I guess on the flip side of that is that it might be flipping hard to get a win down at Sandy Park next week. I mean, Exeter and Rob Baxter won't be too happy with that. Uh, we're joint top of the table and they are going to come hard at us next week, I suspect. Well, let's let's save that discussion for a bit later in the programme. Let me come to you, Lee, next. Um, uh, what can be described maybe as a feisty game uh, at King's Home, Gloucester 19, Sale 22. And I think there was one incident that uh, you wanted to talk about. It just made me laugh. The old, uh, the, the, the Billy 12 trees and the, and the guy carrying the water bottles at the end. Um, I mean, it was proper old school. I would say it was, what, more like scenes of uh, Canadian ice ice hockey, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was, what, a 15, 16-man brawl, and Marlon Yard was doing some doing some yards. Um, and it, it did make me laugh because, it, I mean, what I didn't like was the cell, the, the stuff that obviously um, Curry had put out after, which was really distasteful. We know, like, obviously, cell, they've got absolute past history on on doing that sort of thing anyway. But I did feel sorry for Gloucester after me because they're chasing the game and I know the, the water, the, the bottle carrier is going to do what he's going to do, but you know, it wasn't really in the spirit of the game, was it? Um, and- so let's, let's just, just for people that maybe haven't seen it. So um, Sale, I think, scored late on, didn't they? Gloucester are chasing the game with a few minutes to go. The ball goes out. 12 trees was hoping to take a quick throw uh, but the sail water carrier made sure he touched the ball um, therefore meaning a quick throw couldn't be taken uh, that's what caused the the massive pylon and then um, was it was it was it Ben Curry that put the tweet out um, describing yes. yeah. the water 
the water carrier as a goat, which yeah. I, I think he's apologised for and he, he took the tweet down. But again, um, it, it's just not rugby, is it, when when it's... No, and, and, those incidents. and Sal keep doing these types of things. You know, everyone was saying, obviously, it was a Stephen, uh, Steve Diamond thing, but obviously it's been proven that it's not because we've had a couple of incidents since then, um, since Diamond's left, and Sal are obviously still doing the same thing and it's no it's not in the spirit of the game at all okay and then the the final game that uh, played on on sunday uh, pete leicester 36 bath 31 um I, are we seeing a leicester revival yeah they, i did watch most of the game actually for research purposes tone and i must admit when i looked at the bath team i thought my god that is a strong team that they've got out all their internationals were back maybe Cocker and Asigna was about the only one missing and they were 14 nil up Ben Spencer was making a mockery of the England scrum half selection policy yet again I mean, that try but I'll tell you what there was a young lad playing the fullback for Leicester was fantastic. I can't remember his name now. Stuart, something Stuart. And he was, I thought he was superb. And they just got themselves back in the game. And George Ford was sending up these kind of spiral bombs that they were talking about that I think I saw someone on Twitter say it made Anthony Watson at fullback look like a one-cap wonder, that he just couldn't catch him. Um, and to be fair to Leicester, they, 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 they powered over at the end. And it was a... I think it's it was a it was a really good performance and yeah it was I mean I think it's important to, to they had some mad number eight as well that they got this season but we've got to be careful when he comes to Plymouth Ashton Gate Visa I think he was called he was an absolute beast like mobile beast so yeah fair dues to Leicester and we need Leicester to be good come on let's face it I mean there are they're an input we need every team to be good because we need good games like that and that was a great game of rugby so fair juice to the tigers okay well th- that's round five done and dusted obviously we had the cancelled games between uh worcester and quinns worcester getting the four points quinns two on that one and then london irish at home to saints that was uh also cancelled saints getting the four points uh and irish two points so that's left the table exeter 20 points on top by points scored. Uh, Bristol there with 20, then Newcastle 16, Sale 15 and Wasps 14. So I suppose, you know, take Newcastle out of that equation. It's the the kind of teams that were there or thereabouts uh, at the end of last season. The sad thing from a West Country point of view is to see Gloucester there at the bottom with six points. Anyway, let's look ahead because our next game is Saturday the 9th of January at 2pm kickoff. Exeter Chiefs versus Bristol Bears at Sandy Park, the main game on BT Sports. Um, And in keeping with uh, uh, the last few episodes, uh, we've got another Pete's Premiership preview. Um, But Pete, I don't think you could find an Exeter podcast this, uh, this time. No, no. I, I searched high and low, couldn't find one. Um, bit disappointing, I guess, from you know double Premiership European champions. But um, uh, but very kindly, I, I got in touch with their fans' Facebook page and uh, put a post on there with permission, and came up with two two fans that were really willing to have a chat and uh, yeah, had a nice chat with them. Well, let's listen listen to that now. 
So, in our latest episode of Pete's Premiership Previews, I'm delighted to be joined by Colin Searle and Sharon Vaughan, who are Exeter Chiefs fans. So, guys, I really appreciate you giving up your time to talk to me tonight. Um, but first of all, I'd quite like to find out a little bit about your background, how long you've been fans, and all that sort of stuff. So, perhaps we'll start with um, Sharon. You can go first. Okay. Um, well, I've been a fan probably since about 2009. Um, my son played uh, rugby for Cullumpton Rugby Club in Mid-Devon. And um, obviously there was a connection there with Ben Moon. Um, and yeah, I've, I've just sort of followed the Chiefs-ish since then. Obviously become much more of a fan as time's gone on. Um, and I do remember them beating Bristol that night, which was obviously a, a massive turning point for Chiefs. Um, and obviously I worked at the Columpton Rugby Club as well for a while behind the bar, known as the Smiley Barmaid. Huh. And uh, Ben Moon, Harry Williams and Will Chudley used to come out and train the first team at Columpton. So um, there was obviously a bit of a connection there with Chiefs as well. Thanks very much. And what about you, Colin? Tell us about your background. Um, well, at the time, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the Air Force and uh, frequented many a rugby club around the different stations. But at, at the time, I was down at RAF St Morgan um, and Cornish Pirates started playing at Truro rather than down at um, uh, in Penzance and saw Exeter Chiefs around about 2005, 2004-ish, um, they came down to play the Pirates. So that's the first time I ever uh, saw Exeter play. Um, and then because I'm a, a Devonshire boy, I started following them a little bit more closely. We went to, to watch them play an EDF uh, Cup at Twickenham, which was around about 2005, uh, which was um, the opening game to the Premiership final. Um, or whatever league it was back then. Um, and then from around 2012, um, I was able to go to more and more games at Exeter. I moved back down to, to Devon in 2006. Um, but then we started following them a lot more regularly. But for me, because I was working every weekend up until 2012, um, I wasn't a regular at Sandy Park until around that time, but always managed to go to whatever games were available and followed them through then. So, yeah, long journey. So that's that's great, great to hear, guys. Um, so obviously, you know, the two clubs do have quite a strong connection with the uh, first ever championship playoff uh, 10 years ago when... Uh, famously, you you beat us in both legs, um, but obviously claimed your place in the Premiership um, at the Memorial Ground, as it was uh, way back in 2010. Um, and obviously, we've it's taken us a bit of time to get up into the Premiership, but since then, you know, we have played you a number of times, and most of the games, to be honest, have been relatively close, um, albeit you winning most of them. So. I'm quite interested to find out from both of you what you feel about Bristol as a club, um, as a competitor. So maybe I'll come to you first, Colin. Yeah, um, I mean, it's always nice to have local derbies. I mean, traditionally, our time during the Premiership, our local derby was always the Bath games, and they used to be our nemesis until we started beating them regularly. Uh, but now having Bristol... Um, in, in the Premiership, it gives us a second local derby, 
Uh, and they've always been really, really tough physical games. Uh, at the moment, we're winning most of the, the games we've played against you. But there's, there's not really been you know, more than a score between the two teams. Um, both, both have heavy packs, big packs, tend to go at it, hammer and tongs. And then they try and get it out to the wide, wide channels. Um, you know, and even I remember there's uh, two games uh, specifically, one at Sandy Park, where, uh, which was the game that Bristol won, uh, where you got it at the, the death using an Exeter Chiefs tactic, which is our driving mall. In the last few yeah. seconds of the game, you managed to go over. Congratulations to you. Um, I think, I think uh, you, you said there, Pete, that it was 2018. We did exactly the same to you guys um, at uh, Ashton Gate and um, you know, ended up being a penalty try. Um, given by the referee, um, we all thought it was a penalty try, but the, the Bristol fans around us thought it wasn't. But you know, at the end of the day, referee blew the whistle. We won. Happy days. Yeah. Um, you know, more recently, you know, we during the restart, um, we managed to send a young team with a few old boys in there as well up to up to Bristol in the latter half of the the season. Um, and came away with a, a astounding win, in my opinion, absolutely astounding. Uh, one of my better memories of that was having the um, the old boy Phil Dolman at um, at Plain Centre opposite uh, Sammy Radraja, um, and Dolly managed to sidestep him, made him stand still, turned on his heels, and scored a try. Absolutely outstanding from the old boy, and this is a guy who has retired from Exeter Chiefs this year and everybody was talking about Sammy coming into that game. You know, outstanding player, but he was beaten by the old boy on the day. Thanks for reminding us about that one. So Sharon, what, about yourself? Was... What, do you, what do you feel about Bristol as a, as a competitor and any particular games that, that you, uh, you remember? Uh, well, I mean, the main ones, obviously, are the, the ones where we, we went up into the championship that was um the premiership so that was great um but the yeah the one where we lost at sandy park that was just horrendous <laughs> um but none of us i don't think any of the fans are, are that confident when we're playing bristol because yeah not not more recently anyway in the last sort of two seasons because you've got the good players you've got you know you are playing well and you've got a lot of money behind you. Um, so, yeah, I don't think any of the fans are that confident when we are going to be playing Bristol, even when we're at home. Um, so it's always good to beat you. So that's, uh, that's really interesting to, to hear about your kind of thoughts about the connections between the two clubs. But obviously we've got a game coming on the 9th. So I would be uh, really interested to find out how you think the game's going to pan out. And, uh, and if you're really brave, give me some sort of score prediction. So I'll come to you first, Sharon. Okay. I think um, it's going to be really tight. And I'm obviously, I'm hoping for a win. I think we're going to win. Uh, it's my birthday. They've got a win. And it'll be 21-19. What about yourself, Colin? How do you think it's going to go? I think it, I agree. I think it's going to be a tight game, but these these games against us two are always tight. Um, I don't think there's going to be any fans uh, at this one with the latest uh, lockdown um, 
decisions. So, you know, fans aren't really going to be come in as the, the, the 16th man on the field. So it could be all down to who wants it more. Um, and I think it's going to be a very forwards dominated game. I think both of those packs are just going to go at it. Um, and it will, it will be whoever picks up uh, the most um, um, penalties against them. I think that will be the key. If, if, you, can, if you can stay penalty free, I think you'll come out on top. Score prediction? Score prediction. Uh, uh, 27-23 to Exeter. Interesting. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of tries scored. I, I do think that Exeter will come out the better. Well, the stats are with you. Uh, you you're both right. I think the same. I think it'll be a close game, but obviously, I I, I think it'll be a close game the other way. <laughs> it'll be another stand, another Sandy Park special. That's what I reckon. It'll be. Uh, last minute, line out to the back, rolling ball, job done. <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, there we are, Pete. Uh, again, I, I think it's really nice, this section of the show, just to get that view from the opposition. Um, your your thoughts then? I think both just about went for the Exeter win. One was more confident than the, the other. Um, anything that you've, you've taken from that interview? Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, you know, very knowledgeable fans. It's, it's nice to have a bit of banter. Um, with the opposition, which we're not getting much of at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing that came out of it was that uh, I, I asked them, I tried to explore what they thought about Bristol as a as a club, as a kind of local rival, and they, they're scared of us. They, they, they worry about playing Bristol, even though they've generally won, I think they've won five out of the six premiership games we've played in, in the last time we've been since we've been up you know they've always been close so um you know they, they they know it's not an easy game and i think they value us as as a real as real local rivals now i've got to say one thing that the, the lady sharon that i spoke to she happened to be um on in some sort of shepherd's hut in the middle of dorset and you'll never guess what tone there was a hot tub in the in the and i was given our kind of uh, what we had last week i was tempted to ask her to uh, to get in the hot tub to do the interview but um i felt i didn't really i hadn't really got to know her but you know maybe maybe when we do the return the turn interview so, Pete, just to clarify, you wanted her to strip off and go into a hot tub <laughs> so you could have a Zoom video call with her. Is that what you're saying? I was just suggesting that she should follow the, you know, what, what everyone else who listens to our podcast does, apparently. Oh, OK, yeah. right. Um, Lee, you, you've got a point you'd like to make. No, I mean, it was just a very quick point. Um, obviously, uh, Columpton Rugby Club was, was mentioned, wasn't it, Pete, uh, in the interview? And, they just wanted to give a little shout out to little Patrick, who's uh, my best mate, Paddy's uh, boy. Who's uh, that's his club. So and they're lovely people down there as well. They invite me uh, down to to watch uh, a European game. If you remember last season against La Rochelle, uh, I got absolutely slated at the time for being at Sandy Park. If I uh, if I remember rightly. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a brilliantly run club, and I just wanted to give him a little shout out. Yeah. 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 No. Um, a good hotbed of rugby down there uh, in in Devon. Um, and yeah, it's a shame they haven't got a podcast, uh, Exeter. But then you know, with it being Devon, you know, the internet's only just arrived, and uh, <laughs> they're, they're probably 
you know, still unwrapping and looking in the instructions for their Sony Walkmans that they got for Christmas. But, uh, we'll 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 move on and talk about uh, who we think will will play and how Pat will approach this game. Um, Miles, let me come to you. Um, First of all, because you're, you're you're the the medical expert, so let's <laughs> let's ask, ask this question to you. Um, we've we've got the uh, six front rowers um, out. One was tested positive COVID nineteen. The other five uh, uh, self isolating as a precaution for ten days. Um, do, do you think that at least the five are going to be available to be picked? for the game at uh, at Sandy Park? Um, well, you would hope so, because it, we were chatting about this before coming on air, weren't we? That, I mean, the, the, in theory, the 10 days should have passed, but we were unsure who was tested positive. And it, it, if, if it's only one person, I think we'll be all right. I mean, you know, boys, we need a strong, strong pack to come back um, against Exeter Chiefs. And... Does Kyle get his sort of a little extra rest period that he was drawn back from? But uh, I, I'm not entirely sure, really. I mean, I mean, we did fantastically well at the weekend. The fact that we supposedly couldn't train until Tuesday after the testing went ahead. Uh, even with my expertise, medical knowledge, I'm just unsure who on earth is going to play against Chiefs on Saturday. But hopefully it's going to be the likes of Afoa, Big Jan Thomas and... Um, Burn back, Jakey. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, and Jakey back. And and uh, Pete, let me come to you next. Um, you know, hopefully we are going to see some changes in the front row. Some of those um, uh, people higher up the pecking order uh, coming in. But uh, what other changes do you think uh, we're, we're likely to see in the team? Um, it's hard to say. Well, I, I think. I think Miles will clearly disagree, but I'd like to think that Harry <laughs> Randall will start. Um, and, you know, I mean, the Sheedy-Randall axis is is got to be a starter. I think Piers O'Connor will stay. I th- to be honest, I, I, unless... Um, I, I mean, I think we'll have SAS, as I call them now, Semi and Siva uh, will start, because I, I feel that there's more to come um, from those two in attack. And... Uh, I think the big question, perhaps, is, is what's going to happen on the wing. Um, you know, we've had young Lo- Yoan Lloyd doing very well. Maybe Pat will maybe give him a little rest because he is only 19. And uh, maybe Luke will start um, or Alapati. So you know, it's, it's difficult. But I don't see huge changes, to be honest, apart from the, the front row. That's interesting. I'll, I'll hold my peace for a moment. Let me come Ooh. to Lee. Lee, what do you think? Uh, uh, and uh, as well as who who might play, how how is Pat going to approach this game? How important is this game at, against Exeter to for the Bears' season? I, I think this one is important. I think it's important for both sides. I think that's why Chiefs rested players for this weekend. Um, and for me, what I wanted to say is I, I, I strongly think that our second row, because we still don't know about Chris Bowie yet, do we? We still haven't heard any news um, that he was, he was close to coming back a couple of weeks ago, but still nothing. But I, I have a strong suspicion that Dave Atwood's had a couple of really strong, tough games, hasn't he, recently. I wonder if we might have a second row of Ed Holmes, ex-Chiefs, and always does well against them. 
and maybe Joycey second row. Just my opinion. I don't know what you guys think, but... Well, I mean, some of the things for me that uh, I was a little bit surprised you didn't uh, pick up on was um, I think Ben Earl has had his two weeks rest period. Uh, and I, I would see Ben Earl coming back. Obviously, Dan Thomas was given a week off. Siali Piatau was given a week off. Um, and, you know, I, I would expect to see Siali come back into the team. Now, whether that means Piers O'Connor is going to move uh, onto the wing, um, you know, I think. Uh, Ranrandra and uh, Nualago, I'd expect them to to start again. So, I, you know, probably someone's going to drop out because, again, I don't think you're going to drop Piatau after Charles Piatau after one game. Uh, are, we, are we sure that Siali was not injured? Because I thought he came off that last game with a bit of a ham- when he got carded. Pat was joking afterwards that he was he was trying to come off because he was he'd had a tweak on his hamstring, but. I thought I'd read somewhere that he, he was given the week off. Now, whether he was given the week off because the hamstring was Correct. a bit tight. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Piers, you know. Piers, I... Piers O'Connor, for me at the moment, is undroppable. Mm. I think he's been brilliant. So would you have him in the team over Siali Piatau if Piatau is fit uh, inside centre? I, I no. personally, I don't think you can. I think Siali's got to play there. But whether O'Connor goes out on the wing... Um, it's a great shout. I mean, we've got so many good options now. This is, I mean, literally unheard of, isn't it? The the amount of options we've got in our squad. Um, we could we could field probably if we all picked a first choice uh, fifteen, we'd all have different selections possibly. Well, I certainly think now we have got, uh, you just look at that back line and, you know, we we haven't talked about Luke Morahan, you know, um, is he going to sit on the bench for another week? But, you know, who who do you drop? Um, Max Maley... I thought I said we were just going to drop Lloyd and put Morahan. No, but that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you you could have you know yeah, you could have Lloyd, yeah. Morahan, um, mm. possibly O'Connor. We we've got Purdy to come back yet. Um, you know, there are such attacking riches uh, that are that are going to be available uh, for for this next game. You know, I think the backs. I I it. To, to me, we're we're soon going to be as strong as we potentially have been uh, for a long, long time. You, you could literally have a tombola, couldn't you, of names in mm. that, in that, and just pick them out and go. There we go. That that's that's the that's the backs, and away we go. And each one would perform. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if, can I just say, if O'Connor does go to say the wing and Lloyd drops to the bench and Max Malins is fit as well, yeah. You know, do do you have the two of those? Crazy. Um, you know, we we have got such such riches. But I do think we will see some changes to the pack. Hopefully, some of the front row, if, if as a minimum, I think Carl Sinclair will probably start because we 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 need to really front up against this Exeter pack. Agreed. You know, George Kloska after that performance, if, yeah. if he has to play at hooker again, you know, I I, I, I wouldn't be worried. Nineteen tackles this mm. week. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, and, eight, and a try- eight line outs one, eight line outs one. Despite Miles saying he wasn't throwing the best. Despite he had a good game, I mean, to take him down to Sandy Park, 
you know, it, it's maybe a little step too far this not, early in his career. Like Miles, it's not like an academy cooker, hooker to come on and throw a really good uh, line out of Stanford Park, is it? <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean exactly. Not like Capon could, could ever do that. No, no. <laughs> you know, we've got... We've, We've got Ben Earl coming back. You know, he's yeah. had two weeks off. Um, you know, he, is he going to start? Are we going to see Dan Thomas maybe on the bench? Um, you know, it's nice. We, we're starting to have these selection headaches, but fingers crossed we can get some of the the front row boys back um, just to make sure we have got, um, you know, a bit more strength on the bench. Yeah. Pete, you wanted to, to make a, a comment. Just a real quick shout out for something Lee mentioned, but for Joe Joyce, that, I mean... He's, I just think he's having a great time at the moment and not just doing grunt work, but that that try we scored when he put it was that one that Nathan Hughes scored where we completely wrong footed Falcons yeah. who thought we were like everybody, like everybody thought we would do what we've done. And, and all the Falcons went in to defend the driving mall. And Joycey, that pass that he got to Luatoa off the top of the line out. It was like defied the laws of fit. I mean, that was serious skill. And I just think, he, 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 we always say, he looks like the sort of bloke that's knackered after about five minutes and he just keeps going. Agreed. Um, He's so I, underrated. I, I yeah. think he's the sort of player they, they, they'll want against the Chiefs at some point in that game because there's some sort of burning passion in him, isn't there, that drives everyone forward as well. So I just think we need to, to keep mentioning him. Him and Tim and Holmes work really well together as well. Uh, absolutely, and I'm glad you mentioned that uh, that uh, try off the the, the lineup. We didn't talk about it before, but that was pure filth, wasn't it? That was training ground filth. Uh, rugby, it's it's, it's almost too. It's disrespectful to mention training ground to that because that is just at the highest pressure level. That try. Nathan Hughes was just—he was like a kid in a sweet shot when he got that because he knew, didn't he, from about yeah. twenty yards out he was going to score because all of their forwards had gone tight to try and defend the ball. It was—it was one of the best. I mean, almost—it won't ever get try of the season, but for the execution and just Stephen Lewatow again, a man that constantly looks knackered as well. The skill that he has got as a forward to pop well, that on the loop. We're talking about constantly looking knackered. Let's go to Miles. Well, there you go. I mean, talking about talking about nearly the best trial of the season. I mean, did we see at the weekend the nearly best trial of the season that was disallowed? That was pure filth, wasn't it? Where we passed between five players. I was disappointed in semi because. That's the back. The only thing that he's done wrong since he's been in the Bears shirt, isn't it? I mean, that forward pass. But wow, what a try! That would have been the absolute try of the season, wouldn't it? Oh. Yeah, semi, sort yourself out. I know yeah. you're running full pace with a, a Newcastle Falcons man clamped to you, but really, you should you should offload better. It was, than av- that. It was average, semi. It was av- it was average. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, poor old Nath. I thought Nath could have been in for a hat trick. That would have been uh, yeah. that. That would have been quite something, wouldn't it? Do you, do you think so, he might have got a bit of praise from Big Lawrence then if he would have got an hat trick? 
Possibly not. Well, let's let, let's talk about how we think the game's going to go. Um, I am going to come to um, Miles first. Your your prediction for this game, but actually, before we do, I'd just like to say that as far as the predictions last week are concerned, Lee was the closest. The actual score was twenty nine seventeen Bristol. Lee predicted a twenty six fourteen score. No However, surprise. I think that was pre front row. Um, disappearing act so uh um there we are so so miles there we are. i've given you a bit of extra oh, time to, to put your mind yeah. to this um exeter against bristol how's it gonna go um you know i i don't think bristol should be afraid of any team anymore and, and exeter are beatable on, on a on a good day drop the uh but Oh, can we win down there? Well, of course we can. Oh, I did it last year. So I'm going to sit right on the fence and go for a really tough match. Something like 1760 <laughs> to Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say 17 all draw. <laughs> Pete, I'm going to come to you next. Your your prediction. To be, oh, lights go. Uh, to be fair, for once, I actually agree with Miles. I think he's he's nailed that a little bit. It, I think it will come down to penalty count. I mean, I think we're going to have to we're going to have to tighten up in certain areas. Um, but we've got absolutely nothing to fear. Anyway. I mean, we're we're in a better shape, I think, now than when we went last time. So, um, and if you remember, I mean, we were we were dead and buried in that game, really, for the first three quarters of it. So I think we'll... Uh, but I think... I, I worry... I tell you what I worry about. I worry about the front row. I worry about Cow and Dickey and their front row. And I, I just think, even though our front row is really solid and hopefully they'll, you know, COVID-free... That could be where it all matters in that game. So I'm, I'm going to go for a Bristol win again, uh, but it's going to be tight. I'm going to say 2016. Okay. Uh, Lee, what are your right. thoughts on this game? Obviously, team Miles and Pete have faffed around for so long that I'd just better be quick. I think yeah. I, I think it will be tight, uh, but, but I've got... I do think that both teams are going to really go for this because... I think it's quite important bragging rights. I'm going to go for 24-18 Bristol. Right. Okay. Well, uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting because one of the things we haven't talked about thus far is, of course, uh, Exeter have got a really big European game the following weekend. And with them losing the COVID game, um, you know, it is absolutely they have to win that game to have any chance of um, staying in the Champions Cup. So I'm not absolutely sure we will see the strongest Exeter team. Don't get me wrong. Uh, as they showed when they sent their second 15 up to Ashton Gate, uh, they're, they're pretty strong all the, all the way through the squad. Um, but I, I can see maybe if one or two people have got a little niggle or he wants to hold one or two back to keep them fresh for that European game, maybe we won't see the full strength Exeter Chiefs. Um, I, I think it's going to be close. I am going to go for a 21 to 23 win for Bristol. Um, so uh, there we are. It's uh, I tell you what, I am so looking forward to seeing this game. One, it's a local derby. Two, it's against the champions. Three, it's top versus second. Uh, it's, and, it's, and four, it's a 2pm kickoff for Miles. Yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely. I've got to get in my diary. Blimey. Right. You're listening to Bears Beyond the Gate, a Bristol Bears podcast made by fans for fans. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Buzzsprout, and many more platforms. You can contact us with your comments and ideas by email at bearsbeyondthegate at gmail.com. On Twitter, we're Bears Beyond Gate. And on Facebook, you can like and follow our Bears Beyond the Gate page. Now, uh, moving on to other news, a uh, couple of shout outs from people that have been in contact with us on social media. First of all, um, we um, uh, had a, uh, a message from uh, Paul Jury uh, asking us a question, uh, the four of us at the podcast. Uh, first of all, he said, love the pod. So Paul, thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, but he says, have we come close to a 100% performance this season as a team? So let, let me come to um, Lee first on that. Um, ha- have we seen a complete performance by Bristol this season? Uh, in simple terms, uh, I don't think we've seen a, a complete performance since Pat took over, if I'm honest. <laughs> Okay, um, Pete. What what are your thoughts then? Um, maybe if we look back on twenty twenty, do you think we've come close to having a game where where everything's clicked from the the very start to the finish? Possibly the European Cup final, even though we were down at half time. I think we've we've discussed this in the past that we never looked like we were going to lose that. I I don't know. It's difficult. I mean. Uh, you could argue that that first game of the season against Wasps, that the one game we've lost in contextually was was actually quite a good game, considering we, um, you know, we had the team we had out and we we pushed them all the way. Um, but it's it's difficult, isn't it? I no, I mean I I can't remember to be honest. The only game I can remember actually that I think I felt really comfortable was that. Bath game, like the first game of the season, right back in 2019 when we beat them at the gate handsomely with the record crowd. But Miles, ha- sorry, go on, Pete. No, that's it. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, Miles, what, what's your thoughts on that? Have we seen 100% this season or, in fact, in the last 12 months? Uh, I, I agree with the boys, not this season. I mean, I know we, we're not many games in, but um, there's been quite a few mistakes and, and second half turnarounds but yeah I mean I agree with Pete it's hard to sort of recollect some of the classic wins last season like the Bath game you could argue was 97.7% and that's absolute jobbing we gave to I think Saints was it sort of during Covid times of 40, 40 something to, to cut but yeah, still a few errors but what team gives 100% performance really it's, it's a tough game a few errors are going to be made uh, it's inevitable, but not quite yet. Lee, I think you've got something you want to add. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to quantify that. You know what Miles had just said. I mean, I don't think that there is such a thing as a, a complete game. I don't think it will ever happen because, obviously, like he had said, we have ebbs and flows in every game. But I, I just want to say, like we, I think sometimes we our game is based on explosiveness, isn't it? Um, which is more sprint than stamina. Um, I'm not saying that we don't have stamina, but in in every game, in in literally in every sport, there has to be a period where the other team will take over at some point because that's by by its very nature. If you've got a competitive match, its very nature is going to be um, 
them having a, a period of time where they're going to be attacking. So, but one thing I would say, which, which is why I thought it was a brilliant question, is that sometimes a lot of our, when we're in full flow, we, we do tend to make a lot of mistakes. And um, those mistakes can break up the natural flow when you're on top. So, you know, I, I, an 80 minute game, I don't think is, is ever, a, a, you know, is, I think it's unachievable, but I do think it's, it's a really valid question that we always feel that we, we've got more in the tank. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you to a point, but I, I think you, you can have a 100% performance. That doesn't mean you need to be attacking that 100%. You know, sometimes it, it can be, you know, being camped on your own line and incredible defence. I think what, what we've seen is, uh, you know, the the mistakes, the knock-ons, the things not quite working, especially in the first half of games. So, you know, yeah. how, how many games uh, have we won? If you go back the last year, um, if you took the first 20 minutes from every game, I, I reckon we'd almost be unbeaten uh, in, in, in 2020. Yeah. Uh, we, we have been slow starters. Um, so, so I think, I think a close to a hundred percent performance is possible. The only game I can think that we, we really played well for 80 minutes, uh, was maybe against Bordeaux. Um, and, and we that had was to. And that was a 100-minute game. We still weren't very good for the first 20, but we had, we had 80, 80 minutes after that, including yeah. the extra time that uh, that we did well. Um, another another shout-out. Um, we heard from Chris last week who listens to the show in his hot tub, and we put out a challenge to see if there was anybody else um, listen to us in unusual places or far-flung places. And uh, through Facebook, we've had a message from uh, Pima Longora, uh, who lives in Mexico, who has come across the podcast. So Brilliant. he was listening to us for, in Mexico last week, um, and he's he's a rugby fan there uh, in, in Central America, and he's decided to adopt Bristol Bears as his UK team. so that, That's uh, brilliant, isn't it? I love it. That's exactly what rugby is all about. Mm. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. Um, and then the final thing I just wanted to cover tonight uh, really was, uh, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, when the decision was made to any COVID cancelled games, um, you know, the team that cancelled gets two points um, the the other team gets four points. Um, that rewarding teams that um, you know have have fallen foul of of COVID. Um, lots of speculation now. Does that mean can can the Premiership rugby relegate someone uh, on the basis that you, you look at Gloucester? I think Gloucester have um, played five games and have picked up one point from the games they've lost. I think London Irish have had two games that they've had to call off, uh, but have picked up four four points from those two games. Um, is this the time now that ring fencing either for a season or for longer is going to come in? Lee, let me come to you first. Your, your thoughts. Well, as everyone knows, I've, I've been uh, against ring fencing right from the off, but you boys have converted me. And, and I do, and I, I genuinely do think that it is, um, it, it has to be ring fenced because the thing is we're, we're, 
you know, we're still early on in the season yet and we don't know what's going to happen. And the last thing you'd really want is, you know, a team that gets relegated that haven't had a chance to perform on the pitch. And, you know, that that's a complete disservice to those players that train week in and week out, in my opinion. And, and, and Miles, you know... Um potentially things are going to get a little bit worse before they get better and the vaccine starts to kick in. You know, you can imagine more games are going to be called off. We've got our friends just up the M5, Gloucester, that are bottom of the league. Um, Would you be happy to see them go down this season? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, they're a fantastic side, amazing supporters. And it, it it just doesn't sit well with me, the fact that they're bottom of the table. I mean, we want this to be a competitive league week in, week out. And it this horrible disease is just proving that's just not possible at the moment um, and, and ultimately they're not the, the worst team in the league are they we'll no, all agree no. on that I mean there isn't going to be there doesn't seem to be a poor team now teams are picking up look how well Newcastle have played since they've been promoted um, and, and there is a little bit of sort of internet chatter about why don't we just can you know a couple of months of rugby really until this clears up um, maybe not the best idea but I'm starting to come change my mind about this four point two point divide we chatted about a few weeks ago, and starting very slowly to agree with Tony that <laughs> teams may well start to choose two points really over a loss, and that that would be so, very sad if that happens. Well, it's it's that that is completely against the integrity of the whole league, isn't it? And uh, I do agree yeah. with Miles. I think that. Maybe Tony is the Nostra- Nostradamus of the um, <laughs> the quartet. Well, Pete, let me. We're talking about integrity. Let me come to you because that's that's your middle name. Um, <laughs> you know, at both ends of the table, um, you know, things are potentially going to be decided not by minutes on the pitch, but uh, games that have been cancelled. Um, do do you think we do have to make some? Um, some exceptions, some changes this season, so so people feel that they've been treated fairly. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's there's a bigger picture here. Is the financial issues that some of the these clubs of a lot of the clubs, including Bristol, I'm sure, have have come up against? Is that you know maybe we should look to protect the top clubs by ring fencing for a year or two. And in a way, the COVID crisis has kind of accelerated that a little bit. Um, because I don't, I, I'll tell you why I'm saying this, because I, I listened to um, Rugby Tonight just before we came on and our mate Steve Diamond was on it and he was talking about this and, and I thought he, he made a lot of sense. And he said that, you know, if you ring fence for the next two seasons and let Saracens come up, and I don't know whether there's an argument about Ealing because they have invested money. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give the clubs that security to get themselves back on the feet um, because these are all the clubs that have contributed to, to make the Premier League what it is. Um, and it, it kind of, if things start to get ridiculous, which they will start to do as we get closer to the end of the season with points here and points there, it may be that, They'll kind of it'll it'll be it'll be used to kind of solve a bigger problem. Um, so I, I trouble is if you go too early on it, like say now there's no relegation, is that going to negate the kind of excitement? But then again, it's a pandemic, isn't it? And uh, you know it's bigger than just rugby. So I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, 
Uh, absolutely, it is difficult, and uh, you know we're all old enough to remember Bloodgate um, uh, back a few years ago. You know, I, I would hate for any club to be in a position where you know somebody could have the virus, and that would be an, enough to call the game off and guarantee you know either a top six or save them from potentially relegation. Um, it uh yeah it's it's a difficult time for lots of people you know i think we should be happy that rugby is still being played um and grateful that the you know all the premiership teams are still there and have survived but yeah i think what steve diamond says is is the sensible thing you know top flight rugby needs needs a bit of stability and if that means ring fencing for at least a couple of years then maybe that's that's where we need to go well chaps thank you ever so much uh that's it for this week's show um all you listeners if you like what you've heard please leave a review or rating on your podcast platform for bears beyond the gate bristol bears we've won four league wins on the trot now let's hope we can make that five against the reigning english and european champions next weekend until then goodbye stay safe and come on briz come on briz